Today we're going to look at verses 4 through verse number 9. And for those of you that may be a little bit unfamiliar with maybe this church or, or just church in general, um, just what we do is we, we read a passage of Scripture, and then the preacher spends a few minutes, just a few minutes, explaining that passage of scripture, right? And, 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 and preaching to it, uh, through it, hopefully, hopefully to give, uh, to give everyone maybe a little bit better of an understanding. And, uh, and, and so that, that's my responsibility. And, and, and your only role is just to, is just to listen. Uh, now, you might have received, when you came in this morning, you might have received a copy of our, our weekend bulletin. And if you'll open that, you'll find that there are some notes um, that go along with the message. And as we get to the various points of the message, you'll, f- you'll find that those points will, will appear on the screen. And if you have a pen or a pencil, boy, feel free to take that out and just to write in and fill in the blanks that you find there. And that way you can take um, that home with you and you can just think about it over the next several days. We hope that you'll take advantage of that. Look with me in Philippians chapter number three and we'll begin reading in verse number four and we're down through verse number nine. Paul is writing, he says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. The title of the message this morning comes from the very last phrase found in that ninth verse, where Paul writes, the righteousness which is of God by faith. The righteousness which is of God by faith. You know, in our world today, there are many, there are many different uh, faith groups and, and different ways that people uh, practice um, their, their worship. Uh, there are many different beliefs that people have about discovering peace with God. Likely, some of you, as you were, as you were driving uh, to, to this house of worship this morning, you, you passed other houses of worship this morning. Uh, perhaps maybe you drove uh, by a Methodist church or a, a Lutheran church or a Church of Christ or uh, maybe, a, uh, uh, maybe a Catholic church or perhaps maybe you drove uh, by a Mormon temple or a, a, a Jehovah's Witness uh, house of worship. And, and all, of, all of those, of course, uh, would, be, would be faith groups and, and faith systems, but certainly they would be perhaps a little bit different or perhaps a lot different than what you're going to discover here today. Um, I, I want you to understand the Bible, the Bible reveals to us in the scripture. In fact, I think very, very clearly stated in this very verse in particular, 
that though there are lots of names and lots of denominations and lots of, of, of leaders that, uh, that, that teach and preach uh, a message and, and, and lots of different places that you could identify with, um, and, and all of them would seem to be different, I believe the Bible reveals very clearly that there really are only two faith systems that are, that are, that are at work in our world today. And I believe that these, these two are very, very clearly seen in this ninth verse. They're very clearly seen in our text. Notice, notice he, he says, he says the, the first faith system is, is this one. It's, it's mine own righteousness, which is by the law. Now, now that's, a, that's, a, that's a faith that many people are, 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 are practicing today. That's a belief system that many people have, have entered into today. And, and, and basically, here's, here's what that is. That, is. that is whatever religion that they're a part of, what, what exactly does that religion teach them is necessary to be at peace with God? Most religious systems and most, most faith groups uh, teach that peace with God is discovered, it is discovered um, through, through our own or self-efforts. Most, most churches that you would go in today, they, if, you were to, if you were to sit the, the pastor or the, the priest or the rabbi or whatever the title would be given in that, particular, in that particular group, you were to sit him down and you were to say, how can I be certain? How can I know for sure that I'm going to heaven? Can I have a home in eternal, uh, can I have an eternal life uh, and, and a home in heaven? If you were to ask that question, most, most of them probably sadly would tell you, well, you can't know that. You, know, you can't know that. I don't even know that. I've heard that said myself. I've heard that said by, my, by other faith leaders that said it to myself that, that I, I don't even know that. But, but if you will do this, and if you will do that, and if you'll maybe get baptized, if you'll take communion, if you'll do a lot of good works, if you'll, if you'll, you'll stop swearing and, and you stop, you know, beating your dog and, and, and start being kind to your children, if you'll do some of these things, some of you chuckled really hard when I talked about beating your dog, you better get right with God today. But if you'll start, start doing some of these things, then maybe, just maybe, you can discover peace with God. And so you understand that that, that, is, that is mine own righteousness, which is by the law. That that's some, that's some rule or some standard that a, that a man has implemented uh, in, into, someone's, into someone's mind through their, through their teaching, through their philosophy. And can I tell you that this is not, this is not a new concept. In fact, in fact, this idea of self-effort to discover peace with God goes all the way back to the beginning of time. In fact, in the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis, we have a man, his name is Cain, and he wants, he wants to be accepted by God. He wants to discover peace with God through his own efforts, through his own works. The Bible says that he was a he was a tiller of the ground, that he was, a, he was, a, he was a, a gardener in many respects. And when he came to worship God, he brought the fruit of the, the ground. He brought some, maybe some carrots and some tomatoes and maybe some squash and corn and maybe some apples and oranges and some bananas. And he presented those things to God as the work of his hands, of all of his labor. And the Bible, listen, the Bible tells us that God rejected Cain's offering. It wasn't sufficient. It did not satisfy a holy God. 
Can I tell you that not only was it rejected by God then, but our God does not change. And that same, that same attitude and that same mindset of mine own righteousness, which is of the law, can I tell you that it is still rejected by God today? The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 2, in verse number 21, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, if it comes by me doing certain things, that's what he says, then Christ is dead in vain. Have you ever been frustrated? I think we all are frustrated probably on a daily basis with different things. Maybe you're frustrated with a neighbor or you're frustrated with your children or you're frustrated with that dog we were talking about a minute ago or maybe you're, maybe you're frustrated with you know, the, the world and its systems, philosophies, the government, whatever the case might be. Listen, we, we get frustrated all the time, but you know the Bible says that when someone embraces this idea of their own righteousness, which is of the law, do you know that it frustrates the grace of God? He gets frustrated with that. Can I, can I say this without being disrespectful or rude? He, he's annoyed with that. That's probably not even nearly a strong enough word to describe how that makes God feel. Because here's, here's the point. If you, if you, if me, if I, if we could do enough to earn our way to heaven, then what in the world was the point of God sending his son Jesus to die for us? I mean, think about that for just a moment. If, if you could live your life in such a way, if your own righteousness, which is of the law, could possibly be sufficient, then why did Jesus have to suffer all that he suffered that we're going to commemorate and we're going to remember this week? I mean, if you could earn your way to heaven, then, then forget it. There, there, there's no need for him to spend 33 and a half years down here on this earth. There's no need for, for him to appear before Pilate and for Pilate and his band of evil men to punch Jesus in his face, to, to, take, their, to take their hands and to grab hold of his, of, his, of, of, of his beard and to pluck it out of his face. There's no reason for that. There's no reason for them to strip Jesus of his garments and, and, and to, lay, to lay stripes upon his back with a, a whip known as the cat of nine tails. It's one of the most cruel uh, instruments of torture that's ever been designed. There's no reason for that. There's no reason for him to wear a crown of thorns and be placed upon his head, no doubt pressed into his brow, and the blood begins to flow down his face that's already been bruised and bloodied and beaten and, and, and the drip onto the ground. There's no reason for him to carry his cross to a place called Golgotha and to hang there, to hang there all day public, the Bible says, naked and full of shame. There's no reason for any of that. The Bible says, if your own righteousness, which by the way, most faith groups teach today, if your own righteousness is sufficient, then Jesus, Jesus' death is in vain. It's pointless. It's meaningless. You could have done all of that yourself. Why would he have to come? The Bible tells us, however, that it's by grace that we're saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, not of mine own righteousness, which is by the law, no, no, not of works, lest any man should boast. The Bible says in Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So, so the question is this, what does the law of, of each world religion that we're familiar with, what does it require? 
And if it requires that you must do this and you must do that and you must follow this and you must follow that, uh, if it requires that, then understand that is one's own righteousness. And, and in, according to Scripture, this is not sufficient. It is not satisfactory in the eyes of the one and only true God. It is nowhere found in the pages of Scripture. And yet, and yet, you know as well as I do, the vast majority of the world's population is bending over backwards to try to secure peace with God through their own righteousness, which is of the law. But notice there's a second option that's found in verse number nine. This is an option that God is pleased with. We find that when he says, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So you have the righteousness which is mine own, by the law, and then you have the righteousness which is of God by faith. There's only two choices. There's only two choices. Everyone in the world is doing one of these two. Everyone in the world is either trying to do enough to secure peace with God and to make God happy and to please God, or, or they've come to God through the pages of Scripture and they've accepted what Jesus Christ did for them when he hung on the cross. They believed in that and they've discovered peace through Christ's death. Can I tell you that this righteousness that is spoken of here at the end of verse number nine is a righteousness that God approves of. In other words, we might say, we might say that God, God wrote this righteousness. This is of him, the Bible says, uh, that, that God is pleased with it uh, and that this is righteousness is not ever secured by self-effort or by, or by works, but rather this, this, this righteousness is given to us as a gift and it comes through faith. Well, faith in what? What do I have to believe in? Faith in what, you might ask? Not faith in myself. And what I can do and how good I can be. No, 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 faith in Christ, according to verse number nine. It's very clear that that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible says in Galatians 2, 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. The Bible says in Galatians 3.11, but that not man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just shall live, not by works, the just shall live by faith. In our text here this morning in Philippians chapter number three, we discover a transformation that really every man and every woman must make if they're going to discover true peace with God here in this life and in the life to come. The Apostle Paul reveals for us, really, his testimony. He talks about his journey. And, and, he, and he talks about going from, from believing that his own righteousness was sufficient to recognizing it's not, so. in fact, it's not even not sufficient. I count it as loss. It was, it was setting me further and further and further behind until I looked and I turned and I placed my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ. And I accepted the righteousness which is of God by faith. And so I want to share with you Paul's journey and Paul's story. It's very clearly laid out and revealed to us here in this text. I want you to consider the transformation from a life that was consumed with self-work and self-righteousness to his discovery 
and his embrace of the righteousness which is of God by faith. Number one, I want you to notice with me, we discover Paul's credentials in verses four through six. Paul's credentials. Notice he talks first of all about his credentials by birth. He says in verse number four, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. So he's getting ready to tell you why he thought he was so good and why he thought he was in such good standing with God. Now remember, all of this is past tense. So he's not saying I think this anymore, but he's saying there was a time in which I thought this. And there was a time probably in many of our lives in which we thought we could be good enough, that we could do enough good things to earn God's, God's pleasure and to earn God's grace. And, 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 and so he gives his credentials by birth. Look what he says in verse number five. He said, I'm, I was circumcised the eighth day. There's a comma there. Of the stock of Israel, comma, of the tribe of Benjamin, comma, and Hebrew of the Hebrews. Paul tells us in this text that he was born to Hebrew parents. A member of the tribe of Benjamin, that he was circumcised after his birth exactly according to what the law demanded on the eighth day. On the eighth day, his parents took their, their little boy, they took him down to the synagogue or down to the temple, and they, and, and they had him circumcised. Why? Because that's what the law required. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm a, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I, I, I check off every box by, by birth. Paul measured up in his mind. That's what he thought. We might say, we might say that Paul hit the jackpot or that, or that Paul won the lottery by birth. Here's the interesting thing. By birth, Paul might have had some of these credentials, but Paul had no choice in the matter. Paul didn't have any choice who he was born to, and neither did you, and neither did I. God makes that decision for us. God made that decision for him. And though he had no choice in this part of his life, he was one of the, we might say, the lucky or the fortunate ones. If salvation was reserved only for the Jews, then Paul was good. Not due to his own efforts, but due to his commitment or the commitment really of his parents to their religion and to keeping the law of God. In some respects, I think of myself that I too was blessed and fortunate to be born into a deeply religious home. My parents, when I was born, they took me to church probably the eighth day too. They took me to church just about every day of my life, you know. My dad was one of the pastors and when I was a junior in high school, he became the pastor of this very church. And so we were here all the time. I was here when, we, I was, I was here when the doors were open. I was here when the doors weren't open because my dad had the key, you know, to get in and to bring us into this place. And we'd run around and, and uh, do, you know, do some things that I'm not proud of and some things that I, I, I won't tell you about. But, but, but we, 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 we came to church all the time. We had the Bible read in our home and we prayed together as a family and and uh, we, we, we sang hymns together, and, and, uh, and, and, and we, we served the Lord together. All of these things, listen, were part of my upbringing, and maybe, maybe part of yours as well. Paul had all of these advantages, but I want you to understand something. No one is saved by physical birth. No one is saved because they were born into a really deeply religious home. No one is saved because mom and dad love the Lord and take them to church. No one is saved because they do good things because they're in a home that's doing good things. No, no, no. Paul wasn't saved that way. I wasn't saved that way. And you can't be saved that way either. Yet Paul lists his credentials by birth. But notice, notice his credentials by his own efforts in verses 5 and 6. Notice there's three things that Paul says that, that, that he did and that he did really well. 
in order to, in order to please God and in order to secure his own righteousness, which is by the law. Notice, notice he said, he said, number one, I was an educated Pharisee. Look at the end of verse number five. He writes, as touching the law, a Pharisee. At some point in his life, Paul, at the time he was known as Saul, he moved from Tarshish to Jerusalem and he was trained by an expert in the Pharisees' teaching and the Pharisee tradition. This expert's name was Gamaliel. No doubt, no doubt, Saul, as a, as a young man, memorized a lot of scripture, committed a lot of scripture to memory. No doubt he learned a lot of hymns and a lot of psalms that, that was sung and, and a lot of spiritual songs that he would have sung in his heart and, and with his mouth and with his voice. Uh, no doubt he knew the law thoroughly. He knew what you were supposed to do and what you weren't supposed to do. And on this day, well, this is a holy day. This day's not a holy day, so we don't have to do this or do that. This is a feast day. And, and so this is what we eat and this is how we eat it. And this is when we eat it. And we have to, and you have to check off all of the boxes and we have to cross every T and dot every I. Saul knew all of those things. I'm sure he dressed properly. Oh, I have no doubt about it. When you saw him coming, you knew, oh, he's one of them. He's a Pharisee. He's a religious person. He's really spiritual. He's impressive. He's a man of influence, of power and authority. I'm sure he talked. I'm sure he talked like a godly man would talk. Oh, I, I would just imagine hearing him pray. I bet his prayers were impressive Maybe some of them memorized. Maybe some of them coming right out of the scripture itself. And he knew all of these things. He'd committed them to his memory and to his mind. I'm simply saying that he had all the outward forms of a deeply spiritual man. Absolutely he did. He said, I'm an educated Pharisee. It's touching the law of Pharisee. But notice, secondly, not only was he an educated Pharisee, but number two, he was a zealous persecutor. It says in verse number six, he said, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Now, here's how spiritual he was. He was so confident that his way was right, that, that, that you could earn your way to heaven, that through your own righteousness, you could do enough to find peace with God, that he, he looked around and he, and he saw those who didn't believe the way he believed, and he, and he decided that he was going to persecute them. And so he did. Traveled all around that region, and when he had done all that he could do in this realm of persecution in his region, he went to, he went to some people and he said, listen, can you, uh, can you give me some letters of authority from you? I'm going to Damascus. I heard in Damascus, outside of the nation of Israel, there is a group of people that are going into the synagogues and they're preaching faith in Christ. And if I find them doing that, I'm going to arrest them and I'm going to bring them back to Jerusalem and we're going to persecute them here. That, that's the kind of stuff that he was doing. I mean, he was locked in. He was serious about this thing. In fact, the Bible tells us that he was, he was so, so, so zealous as a persecutor that we know for sure there was at least one man that he was responsible for his death because he taught and he believed and he preached something different than what Saul and what the Pharisees believed and what they preached and what they taught. His name was Stephen. And we learn of his slaughter in Acts chapter number 7. The Bible tells us that, that Saul, that this man who's writing in Philippians chapter 3, that he consented, he was in approval of, he, he was in agreement with, he was leading the effort that this man would be killed. His credentials by his own efforts, educated Pharisee, zealous persecutor, notice thirdly, a blameless person. He says of himself that concerning the law, he was blameless. This doesn't mean that he was sinless, 
It just means that he, in his own mind, was convinced that he had done everything that was necessary for a man to secure his own salvation, his, his own home in heaven. He had done everything that, that he knew to do, and he was confident. He was confident that he was good. And then when it came time for him to die, that he was going to spend eternity with God in heaven, not, not through faith, but because of all that he had done, because of all that he had memorized, because of the way that he dressed, the way that he talked, the way that he worshipped, uh, because of all the good things that he had done, uh, because of his, his desire to persecute even. He thought that was a good thing. He, the Bible says he did it ignorantly in unbelief, but he was convinced, he was convinced that he was in the right. But I want you to know something. God saw things differently. And God still sees things differently today. Because we notice in verse number seven, we notice a transition. He lists his credentials. Look at all that I've done. Look at how spiritual I can be. Look at my own righteousness, which is of the law. But then would you look with me in verse number seven? But, but, that, that's a transition. That's a transformation. What happened what happened between verse 6 and verse number 7? In verse number 6, he said, I, I, at one time I, I was believing and trusting in all of these things that I had done, and I was confident that these things were sufficient to give me eternal life. But something happened. And today, as he writes in Philippians 3, he says, not only do I not have any regard for those things, he, he, he said those things didn't get me closer to God. Those things were getting me further and further away from God. Those things I count as loss. I, I was losing by trying to earn my way to heaven, by trying to secure my own righteousness. What happened? We see Paul's credentials, but I want you to notice, secondly, Paul's conversion. Paul was converted. Something happened that day, and the same thing must happen in the life of each and every one of us before we draw our last breath here on this earth if we're going to enjoy Eternity in a place the Bible calls heaven. The account of his conversion is given to us in Acts chapter number nine. And so I'd like for you to hold your place in Philippians chapter three. And I'd like for you to go with me to the fifth book of our New Testament, the book of Acts chapter number nine. And I want you to discover with me how this man who, who, had, who had trusted in himself and his own righteousness and was convinced that he was right with God, how, how did he change? How did, he, how did he come full circle and move, move away from, in, in fact, get to the point where he said, I, I don't, those things I count as lost, they were getting me further and further behind for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Paul goes from complete confidence in his own righteousness to complete faith in Christ as a result of his conversion. I want you to notice three things that took place. And I want you to understand that all of them are a result of Christ coming to him. Christ coming to him. Notice, number one, Christ came to Paul. His name at this point in time in Acts 9 is Saul. Christ came to Saul in his sinful state. Look in verse number one. The Bible says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem, and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. The author of that light, the one who hit the light switch, is God. It's Jesus Christ. 
And he came, listen, he came to Saul in his sinful condition, in his sinful state. Where was, where was he going? Where was he going when Christ appeared to him? The Bible tells us that he was going to persecute disciples of the Lord in a place called Damascus. That was the purpose of his trip. He wasn't on a vacation. He wasn't heading to a resort. He wasn't even on a business trip. No, no, no. He was on a, he was on a, a mission to arrest people who believed in the name of Jesus when all of a sudden Jesus came to him. Now there's a thought that exists that one must clean themselves up before coming to Christ. I've had people tell me that. I've shared the gospel with them and I've said, listen, here's what the Bible says. Wouldn't you like to come to Christ? Wouldn't you like to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus as your savior? And I've had people, sincere people, look me in the eye and they've said something like this. You know, I really would like to do that, but I've got I to fix some things in my life before I get there. And I want to I wanna grab hold of them in Christian love and I want to tell them, it doesn't work that way. You don't clean yourself up. Christ comes to you in the mess that you've made of your life, in the mess that I've made of my life. That's when Christ came to me. The light shined on Saul, not when he was in the temple worshiping God. No, the light came to Saul when he was in the midst of his most wicked deeds, when he was on his way to Damascus for the purpose of persecuting and making life difficult and, and, and disastrous for the disciples of the Lord. And that's when Christ came to him. You don't clean yourself up and then you come to Christ. No, no, no. Here's what happens. You come to Christ and he cleans you up. Understand, listen, he is the cleansing agent. You, you, your efforts and my efforts to clean ourselves up, we just make ourselves worse. In fact, in fact, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, he said this. He said, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So you got to make a choice. Do you want to you clean yourself up with a soiled, dirty, nasty rag that is filled with the filth and the pollution of this world? Or, or, or will, you take, will you take the beautiful robes of Jesus Christ that are unstained and allow him to come and allow him to clean up all of the filth and all of the dirt that exists in your heart and in your life? He comes to us. Listen, he comes to us in our sinful state. Some of you may be sitting here today and say, Pastor, but you don't know what I did this last week. No one knows what I, my, my, my spouse doesn't know. My parents don't know. If somebody were to find out, I could go to jail for what I've done. You don't know what I did this last week. Some of you might be sitting here saying, Pastor Pete, last night was Saturday. You don't know where I was and what I was involved in. No, I don't, I don't know that. I don't need to know that. I don't need to know that. What I, what, I, what I want you to know is that Jesus Christ comes to us in our biggest messes. He comes to us in our, in our most problematic areas and he says, he says, listen, believe on me and I'll fix it. Amen. Too many of us are living, are living our lives and we're saying, here, let me, let me see if I can fix things up. Let me make myself look, okay, now God, now will you receive me? Now will you take me? And God says, it doesn't work that way. While he was breathing out threatenings and slaughters, while he was on his way to Damascus. In fact, he's just outside the city when the Bible says the, sh the light shone round about him. Christ comes to us in our sinful state, but notice, secondly, Christ gives Paul or Saul, gives all of us light. The Bible says in verse number three that as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus. Now on that day, 
I, I propose to you that there were two lights that were shining. The first light was a literal light, and that captured Saul's attention. It got him to stop where he was going for just a minute, long enough for him to hear the message. And that sometimes is why we do a day like Friend Day, so that, that we can encourage you to come in here and, and to hear the message. You'll make a decision what you do with it or not. That's why we have a day like this. We want you to hear what the Bible has to say. So a literal light shone that day, but I propose that a figurative light was seen by Paul that was far more powerful and transformative than that literal light was. You see, you see, Paul would suffer blindness. Literally, the light was so bright that he saw. The literal light was so bright that he saw that day that, that he was blind for a few days. But eventually, later on in the chapter, you'll discover in verse number 18 that a man comes to him, he prays over him, and when he does, scales fall from Saul's eyes, and he makes a recovery, and he can see again. But I want you to know something. I want you to know something. He would never, listen, he would never be the same after seeing the figurative light in this passage. Who is that light? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He's on his way to persecute the disciples of the Lord. And he looks up to heaven. He knows it's God. Oh, he knows it because he says, who, are, who art thou, Lord? Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord answers back and he says, I am Jesus. That's the light. That's the light that every man and every woman needs to see in this life. That Jesus is not just some good story. Jesus is not just some prophet or some teacher or some leader of some sect of religious people. No, 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 no. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is God. And Saul, Saul, that day, he's on his way to Damascus and he's there to persecute those who are worshiping Jesus when all of a sudden he looks up into heaven and Jesus is speaking to him. He saw light that day. Each individual in life has been given some light. Some of you, you've gotten more light than others. And you've heard the gospel message over and over and over and over again. Some of you, you've never heard a message like this. Maybe you were raised in a church that taught that you have to do certain things and you have to you know, do, do these, jump through these hoops and, and dot these I's and cross these T's in order to be. So you've never heard this before. And so in some respects, this is like a bright, shining light. Wait a minute, all I have to do is just believe in Jesus to be saved? I don't have to go through any religious hoops. I don't have to be super, I just have to believe in Jesus. That's what the Bible says. He was given light. Notice, he was also given a new life in Christ. Look in verse number six. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Now that's new life right there. That's transformation right there. So how do you know that's transformation? Because most men, most men are walking around saying, I wonder what this guy can do for me. I wonder what this gal can do for me. I wonder what this church can do for me. I wonder what that God in heaven can do for me. I wonder what this president or this mayor or this governor or this politician can do for me. Everyone, everyone is walking around in the flesh and they're saying, what will you do for me? You know, you know transformation has happened in a life when suddenly they're not saying, what can you do for me? But they're saying, what can I do for you? And he, he makes a complete transformation we know he makes a transformation because look in verse number 20. This is the same man we're talking about who, who is going to Damascus to persecute people who believed in Jesus. And now look what he's doing, verse 20. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is 
the Son of God. Oh, you see it, don't you? He was given a new life. In fact, in fact, when he eventually went back to Jerusalem and he tried to, he tried to make friends with the Christians, they wanted no part of him. They're like, oh, we know who you are. We were afraid of you. You were, you were seeking to persecute. Oh, I bet you're a spy. I bet you're, you just, you're just pretending like you've made this transformation. Oh, no, 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 we're not gonna fall for that. You're not gonna become part of this church. You're not gonna become part of us. We know who you are. Listen, he had received new life in Christ. He wasn't the same person that they knew. In fact, he was so different that he was no longer called Saul. He became a new man in Christ. He even got a new name. His name was Paul. And so we see his credentials. We see his conversion. We see thirdly and finally his change. Paul's change. In verses 8 and 9, going back to Philippians chapter number 3, we find in verses 8 and 9 that he suddenly as he writes, he's no, longer, he's no longer resting and having confidence in the fact that he was a Pharisee and that he was a persecutor and that he was blameless and that he was you know, a Hebrew of the Hebrews and that he was circumcised. No, none of, none of that matters. No, no. In verses 8 and 9, he says, Those things I count but loss for the excellency of the knowledge. He rejected, number one, he rejected his own righteousness. And if you're going, if you're going to be right with God, you're going to have to come to the point where you too reject your own righteousness, where you understand, I'm not sufficient. I can't save myself. I'm wearing dirty rags. I'm I'm no good in the flesh in God's sight. You know, he had spent his whole life living to be righteous enough to potentially save himself, but he came to a realization that that was simply not possible. You see, Romans 3.23 tells us that we're all sinners, for all has sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible tells us in Romans 6.23 that the wages of our sin is death. So you know, you, know what, you know what's coming for you? You know what's coming for you if you work really hard and trust in your own righteousness is death. It's coming for all of us. It's coming for all of us who work really hard and trust in our own righteousness. Because why? Because we're all sinners. The Bible says in Galatians 3.22, but the scripture hath concluded all under sin. You know who's writing that? The same man who we're talking about today. He says, I was under sin too. Though I, though I looked the part, though I had cleaned myself up, and though I had all of these outward forms of righteousness, I was a mess. I was a sinner. Pa- Paul came to the point where he counted all the things that he had done, works, self-righteousness, law. He says those things are lost. Those things are waste. He had lost every element of his former life, and he was content to do so. Why? Because he... He, he traded in exchange for that. He got Christ. He rejected his own righteousness. No, secondly, he chose the righteousness which is of God by faith. He says, not having, in verse number nine, mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. The choice is yours. And it must be made if you're going to enjoy and inherit eternal life. Will it be your righteousness or will it be Christ's righteousness? Understand, listen, your righteousness, my righteousness is not sufficient. Deep down inside, I know who I am. You see me stand up in front of you and I preach the gospel and I wear a nice suit and I shine my shoes and I comb my hair, but God knows the real me and God knows the real you too. Every last one of us. Our righteousness is not sufficient. No matter how good we are, no matter how we look, no matter how we appear, Christ's righteousness is sufficient to wash away the worst and most grievous sin. 
So many people, don't they? They go through life thinking, hoping, praying they can do enough to earn God's favor. Understand this, God's favor can only be earned by faith. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. That's a starting point, is believing in God, believing in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. The Bible says in John eight twenty four, Jesus speaking, he says, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, I am who? I am God. I am the Messiah. I am the Savior. I am God's plan for your salvation. If you don't believe that, he says, ye shall die in your sins. If you were to die today, would you stand before God in your own righteousness, which is of the law, or would you stand before him with the righteousness which is of God by faith?